Yay. Love it. I love God speak. Thank you, every one of you. You guys are awesome. Love your faith. Thank you for fighting. And um, I love your pastor, needless to say. Hey, we're peers. We are basically the same age. But he is so much more handsome. Doggone it. No, just kidding. Um, I'm so honored to be here. I really am. I told our, our church family, it's like... Uh, Hey, listen, you guys are the tip of the spear, and this is an extraordinary congregation, and and you know that, and what an honor for all of us to be together. I'm just so grateful to be here. So uh, thank you for having me, and I know, how many of you are kind of embittered that Pastor Rob is not speaking? Could you raise your hand? Let's just deal with this right now. No, no, and it's important to get, I don't want you to transfer that bitterness on me. And, um, okay, I'm just kidding. Hey, listen. Can we stand one more time? If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I have to say, I had prepared a completely different message. And, um, you know, you hear sometimes preachers say this, but this does not happen with me often. I can only think of one other time. And then kind of last minute changed it. And so I just trust this is of the Holy Spirit. And um, so I I believe it's of the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews chapter 12, I love this portion of Scripture. Let's read here in verse 1 down to verse 6. And we'll pray one more time. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 reads the following. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside... Every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with, what's the next word, you guys? With endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him. Really think about him, in other words, the Lord Jesus, our precious King, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline or training of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Let's just pray one more time. Lord, have your way within our hearts. We love you. Uh, Words are not enough. You are a precious king who conquered the grave and captured our hearts and continues to do so. So I want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, may their eyes be open to you. May May they make a right decision to embrace you as Lord and Savior. Uh, be glorified now, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, amen. You may have a seat, you guys. So the title of the message is, Are You Discouraged? Question mark. Hear this. Are you discouraged? Hear this. True story. 1859, the great acrobat Blondine stretches a cord across Niagara Falls, and he tight ropes across this. 25,000 people are in attendance. They are just amazed. Of course, if he falls, he's dead, right? And another occasion, he ended up taking a wheelbarrow full of cement. And he's tight roping across Niagara, gets to the other side. People are going crazy. And Blondine said, how many of you believe the great Blondine can put a man in this wheelbarrow? And, you know, 
lead the way across on this tightrope. And oh, the crowd was going crazy. But there's this one guy in the corner that was just this monster fan of Blondine. Blondine, I believe it. You're the greatest. I know you can do it. Blondine turned to that very man and said, then you get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> he was heard to say, oh my God. No, okay, I'm just kidding. Um, why do I begin that way? I'm not even quite sure. I, 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 no, there's a reason. Uh, if, we, if we did a flyover of the passage we just read, uh, we, we could just fly over real quick and just get this idea. It's like the Lord is saying, you know, I stepped down from heaven. I wrote myself in the script of life. I demonstrated the most incredible love, bridged the gap between God and man. It could be said on the cross with one hand, reached up, took the hand of the Father. With the other, I reached out to every human being, resurrected, conquered the grave, ascended to heaven, and I'm coming again. And he might say, will, will, will you step into this? Will you follow me? Because I'm building a kingdom that will never break down. Now, will you, will you step into this? And we, we would all say, yeah, we're, we're going to follow you, Lord. Can I, can I hear a big amen to that? And, and he would just say, just kind of a flyover real quick as a way of introduction. He'd say, look, here, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that I, that I endured the cross. I persevered. I never gave up. Came in Jerusalem, Nisan 14, Passover. I knew exactly what was going to take place. And I came to make you right with God. I, I became sin that you might become the righteousness of God, to bring right alignment, to be secure with the Lord forever and ever. But it's my Father, the Father, who trains you in righteousness. And what's essential to training, growing, building muscles of love and justice and forgiveness and courage is you never give up. Christianity is like, it's kind of like, you know, riding a bicycle, and you just need to keep pedaling. If you stop pedaling, it's not like you're no longer a Christian. That's not the issue. The Father wants us never to give up and to keep pedaling and moving forward because he is training us and growing us for greater blessings and effectiveness and impact. I mean, I just think of the famed coach Tom Landry who said, my job as a coach is to make these young men do what they don't want to do in order to become the men they always wanted to be. I love that. It's like we have the most wonderful father there could ever be. Behind it all is, is our heavenly father who sent his son. And he is actually training all of us to become men and women, boys and girls of God, Men and women that we never thought we could become. This is a work, a divine work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus is fully involved, needless to say. And the, whole, and the Father is on the job construction site in all of our lives. The question is, what happens when we don't feel like pedaling? What happens when we lose energy or we're low on energy or activity and yet it's critical that we don't give up? You see, this is the context of the passage. The Hebrew writer is speaking to Jewish followers of Jesus. You've got to remember the Jesus movement began in Jerusalem. It's a Jewish movement that has impacted the entire world, both Jew and Gentile. But the backstory, and just look with me, please, if you could turn to Hebrews chapter 10, is that they've experienced this intense persecution and opposition. It says in verse 32 of chapter 10, 
But recall the former days in which after you were illumined, in other words, you had your eyes open to Jesus, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations. Partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of, what's the next word, you guys? You have need of endurance. I don't want you to give up. This is not a concern that you're going to not follow Jesus. I'm not concerned that you're not legitimate Jewish followers of Jesus, what I'm concerned with, the writer is saying, is that you stop peddling. If you stop peddling, then, then, then the Father is unable to train you like he would like to train you, to grow you into the person that he's intended you to be. And th this is the context, and needless to say, the context of our time. Hey, do you ever feel the world's going crazy? Does anybody ever feel that way? Because it is, my goodness gracious. And, and it's like sometimes, I kid you not, I think, um, am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? I don't know if you ever feel that way. I think this is a bit surreal, right? And there's almost like this alternate reality that knocks on our door. And then it's like, oh my goodness gracious. Okay, let's respond to it with some truth. And then it's like, 24 hours, another major alternate reality. And then you, have, then you just have Afghanistan, which by the way, let's pray real quick. Father, we pray for the comfort of all those who have lost their loved ones and just words are not enough, but we stand together and ask, you give them peace that surpasses understanding and we just thank you for uh, those who served our country in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all right, so getting back. But um, yeah, so... Just crazy, I, you know, you got Afghanistan and then, I, and then uh, and not to be dehumanizing and, and things to President Biden at all, but then I see him in this meeting with Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, it looks like he's falling asleep, you know what I mean? So it's like, I just think, what is going on, right? What's going on? The world's being shaken. And, uh, but the good news is from chaos can come clarity, and this morning, the Lord just really wants to bring some clarity. That's what the Hebrew writer is doing. He's really, he really has this plan to encourage those with low energy. It's a very specific strategy. He doesn't just say, and we're going to learn, he doesn't say, you know, you guys just suck it up. I know you're low energy, and I know you're dealing with radical persecutions and disappointments, expectations not met. I know you're dealing with a sense of disillusionment. Suck it up. Just feel better about it. No, he doesn't do that. It's like I, I learned a few years ago, I, I think I have an auditory issue. And I, <laughs> because if, if, if someone gives me their phone number, it's like, you know, here's my phone number. It's 310-377-0608. I'm like, what did you just say? I could just, did you say 7B? What, what? I mean, could you go much slower? And, it, and it's like, if someone just goes, suck it up, Greg. No, my number is. And just, I'd speed dial it. I, I just, it doesn't help me. I just need, uh, I need to see it on a graphic or something. The, the point I'm trying to make is, is that the Hebrew writer is not just saying, suck it up. What he does here, and we're going to learn this, is he identifies five components that's gonna shoot some adrenaline in the souls of his hearers to give them a sense of strength to keep moving forward. And the first one is, and this is the point that we have on the screen, is he wants to have the heroes of the faith speak into their life. 
Boy, it's important who you listen to. Very, very important. Because in verse 1, when he says, therefore, and this is chapter 12, verse 1 now. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's referring back to chapter 11. And chapter 11 is this hall of faith of all of these great men and women of God who are men and women of faith. Okay, so he's saying, look, I want... I mean, there's military heroes and there's moms that are heroes and dads that are heroes and stuff, but, but he wants a specific hero to speak into our life. That's what he's saying in context. And, and maybe you're here for the first time. We're so glad that you're with us. If you ask the question, what is faith? Faith is being informed by the truth of who God is. It's being informed by the one who knows all things. I mean, every day we're making decisions on some level that is an act of faith because, like, we don't have full disclosure, full understanding. We go to the doctor and they say we have this condition. They write a prescription out in some handwriting you can't even read, give you, you know, some prescription you don't understand. I mean, it's like, and there's an element of faith and we, we make decisions, we don't have full understanding. But it's so reasonable, actually, to believe the one who knows everything. Can I hear a big amen to that? So faith is being informed by the truth of who God is. And now you are introduced to the world of the intangible ideas, the righteous, the righteous right standing, right alignment with God and fellow men shall live by faith. They're going to be informed by intangible ideas of love, justice, eternality, who God is. Life is not just informed by stuff. We're not a byproduct of mindless nature. The righteous, therefore, shall live by faith because love, justice are intangible realities that give meaning to life. And they're purpose to inform our thinking. And, of course, the greatest intangible reality of all is the uncreated one himself, is the Lord himself. Faith is so important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so like, we'll just check this out. If we were to sit down with Abraham, who's the father of like, man, informed, revelation, truth, you know, just intangible reality of, of ideas, the, the correct ideas about life and God's plan, he, he might say this to us, and, and I hope this is a blessing to some. And he might say, you know, you know, God called me out of a very dark place. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, I'm, I'm going I'm to show you a piece of real estate. I'm going to do this killer plan through you that's going to impact the entire world. It's like, so I just, I want, you to, I want you to step out from your darkness and step out from your crazy family. And I'm going to lead you. And it's going to be this progressive re revelation. But I'm going to do a work through you. That literally the whole world is going to be blessed. And those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. But I just want you to know, listen. Listen, I only saw a very little part of its fulfillment. In fact, for a while, I'm paraphrasing it, Sarah and I, we're like, we don't even have a kid. Until late in our age, God blessed us with, I, we only saw a little bit of the materializing of God's plan unfolding. So, so he might say, keep peddling, you guys, because whether you're seeing measurable results or not, your life impacts generations to come. Can I hear a big amen to that? Yeah. 
We we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, And we do what is right because it's right. There's just some things that are just right. It's, It's right to love. It's right to stand for your neighbor and to do what is just and to stand for the unborn and and to be salt and light, whether or not there's measurable results or not. That that glorifies God. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So that's point number one. Point number two, if you're discouraged, I just want you to hear this. We we have it on the screen. We need to drop the excess weight of compromise. And, And that's what he's saying. When he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Listen, There's nothing more demoralizing than sin. Allowing some compromise to go unchecked in our life. Look, none of us are perfect, okay? We're all under construction. Can I hear another amen to that? Like, okay, we're in process. But we're not to allow for footholds like compromises to remain in our life because they will inevitably become strongholds. Like, like sin morphs. It's impossible. You cannot manage. You can't keep it under wraps. It, it desensitizes. It destroys. It, it um, disintegrates. So it, it morphs and ultimately it metastasizes. The only right response to sin is to turn from it. it is, is to shed the excess weight. Remember, this is a long endurance Run So we don't want to be burdened with excess weight, and sin is a kind of weight. And listen, there's a spiritual battle taking place. There's no doubt about it. There's a darkness behind the darkness. I mean, like Gavin Newsom, that's one thing. Like, he needs Jesus Christ. But there's a darkness behind the way that guy thinks. And that's the darkness Jesus came actually to destroy. When he came into Jerusalem... He's not like taking out a sword like an Islamic invader and just forcing people to bow that he's the Messiah. No, actually he's gonna demonstrate the greatest love to bring the greatest transformation. He's gonna win hearts. He's gonna change people from the inside out. He's gonna bind the enemy, the strong men. There's a battle taking place and what's critical, truth is critical. And the Bible says that in the spiritual battle that we're in, we need a belt in Ephesians 6 and it's called truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. And we need, we need to be men and women of truth from the top of our heads down to the bottom of our toes. We're in process, yes, but again, we can't allow for any compartmentalization where it's like we're allowing some form of compromise in our life. That means it's a lack of integrity. And, and, and if we allow that, we allow for a darkness at play. There's a battle taking place and the enemy wants to bum you out. He hates you. He, he wants to, aren't you glad you came to hear that? Okay, anyways, he just wants to des- destroy you, but he can't in Christ, but he really wants to bum out your trip before you get to heaven. But there you go. We need to wear the belt. And you know, in the immediate context of Hebrews 12, it's just the idea is, okay, like we need to not be weighted down, okay, long endurance. I mean, we gotta run light Got to run holy and righteous. One place to look to ensure this is taking place is in our relationships. Because in context, we don't have time to totally develop it, but in verse 14, he says, work at living in peace with everyone 
and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And what does this look like? It's so important that we manage our interpersonal relationships in such a way that we're not reactive, that we're patient with one another. And inevitably, there's going to be conflict for sure. I think probably one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned, I'm still learning it, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, where it says, love suffers, can someone tell me, long and is kind. And it's in the context of when there's interpersonal conflict, which is inevitable. And rarely is it when you have conflict with another person that it's just like this person just wants to destroy you or they're just trying to hurt you as in some form of betrayal. That happens, but it's rare. Usually the conflict is over miscommunication, expectations not met. Just as like, just, we're just maybe not connecting and there's some frustration and patience. So this is like one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned because this is what the Bible's teaching. What love looks like is like the elephant in the room with regard to love is love actually feels suffering. It's rarely romantic. I mean, it is romantic. It's beautiful and euphoric in a beautiful uh, marital relationship. But, but, and that exists. But the elephant in the room with regard to love is love actually feels suffering. And so when there's conflict between like person A and person B, when love is at play, person A will retreat in patience and suffering rather than being reactive, right? So somebody cuts you off the freeway and you're reactive and you respond to it. No, that's not love. Love actually, you know, retreats in long suffering, is willing to absorb the blow. And it's between the retreat and the advance in kindness that is like the greatest learning curve in our life. I mean, just take that, write that down and, and work through that, trust me. So it's he's saying here, look, you don't have to compromise your convictions to love. Most conflicts in relationship, not the result of intentional wounding. You don't want to be carrying a lot of unresolved baggage of bitterness. You want to avoid being reactive, instead demonstrating love. And love at times doesn't necessarily feel good, but it is like the Lord Jesus Christ. It ends up becoming a rescue to yourself because you're not reactive and self-taking you down a road that's destructive. And also, it is a rescue to those who are the recipient of it. Hey, if you're discouraged, point number three, man, just never give up. I mean, when he says here in verse one, let us run with, and I asked you to underscore that term, run with, let's say it again, with endurance, right? The race that is set before us. I mean, this is not a sprint. I mean, following Jesus is not a sprint. By nature, it's a long endurance run, which means at times it's not always gonna feel good. In fact, at times it's painful. And at times it requires just pure grit, And this then brings an important distinction. Because if we base the race of life on our feelings, not only will it give us an inaccurate view of the reality of God in our life, but we're going to be tempted to quit. Because if if we're thinking, you know, if I'm I'm not feeling good, then God is not good. Or if I'm I'm not feeling good, then, excuse me, if I'm feeling good, then God is good. Or if I'm not feeling good, then God is not good. That's just a terrible, that's a terrible like misunderstanding. Rarely 
Do our feelings tell us really the truth about God and what is taking place in our life? In fact, James, which is like my favorite book, written by the half-brother of Jesus, the first thing he mentions, and he penned it from Jerusalem, is he said, look, I'm going to paraphrase. He goes, you guys, I, I want you to think differently. I mean, I know you're going through adversity and trials. Just like, just like those to the Hebrew writer, they're going through adversity. So listen, I want, you to, I, want you to consider, I want you to consider it all joy. And the word consider there is to like think upon it differently. So it's like you're in very difficult situations. The circumstances may not change, but I want you to change at the very least how you think. I want you to think differently about adversity. And, and you consider it joy. Not that you're happy about the, the leukemia and so no, no, I just I want you to think though differently about the adversity, knowing it's a, a test of your faith. Well, faith is in God. And if it's a test of my faith, then then what it's basically saying is in adversity and trials and, and, and hardship. It's an opportunity, actually, to see God's faithfulness on display because he never fails us. It's very important. So that's why you can consider it joy because God never fails us. He's only good. So therefore, if you're going through it and you're in hardship, just think Different. Just think this way. Okay, this is a testing of your faith. Your faith is in God and a God who never fails. My grandfather, to whom I think of all the time, I never met him. He was a, he was a squadron leader. He was a pilot in, in 1941 on North Island. And, and he took off a few days. Well, it was actually on Thanksgiving. My mother was seven and the plane failed. He was a great pilot. I mean, he used to sh- schlep Admiral McCain around uh, California. Did you like that schlep term right there? So, okay, anyways. I, I, um, anyways, he's, I, I, have his, I have his flight books. And, but the, the plane, he didn't fail, the plane failed. It's like we're in Christ. The Lord never fails us. Can I hear another amen to that? Never. So awesome. And I think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, I think the later part of his life, fake news spread about him, Temple Mount, that he had brought a non-Jew into the temple, it was totally bogus, almost results in his death on the Temple Mount. He's a Jew, Pharisee, follower of Jesus. He appeals, uh, and a Roman, he appeals to Caesar, and uh, he's in prison there in Caesarea, and you guys know the story. Like three years, his life is marginalized. I mean, the confines, he just didn't have the liberty, and yet... The Lord was just doing incredible work in his life. I mean, he would write, from prison I learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's like, hey, time out. When did Paul actually learn that? Did, did he learn it in the latter part of his life? Did he learn a God's sufficiency that in Christ he is enough? Did, did it, or was it at the beginning of his ministry? Is it later in his ministry? I, I don't really know the answer. But he said, I learned it. And I, and I learned that God is sufficient, Christ is sufficient, I can do all things through him, and it's not based upon my circumstances or what I possess, it's based upon who I know and how I think. And it's, instead of his life becoming like marginalized, then he started to write these phenomenal letters that have impacted billions of people's lives. You, you never give up. Ne- you never know what is around the corner. 
John Wesley, many historians believe, it's like he actually saved England, this great preacher. Let me give you an excerpt from his diary. I just love this. Okay, check this out. Like literally, this is from his diary. Sunday a.m., May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out, stay out. I'm just going to go down, right? Okay. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in St. Somebody's, deacons called special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. <laughs> Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was uh, turned loose during service. <laughs> Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. The same day, that night, Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear the gospel. Man, just don't give up. You never know what is around the corner, right? And this, this comes out all the more, this point, this reality. I think, I think we're going to put this scripture up. Can we put that next slide up? Thanks, you guys. You're awesome. I mean, can I tell you something, you guys? This is actually, this, this is actually the bullseye of this passage. I mean, and it's so much of the bullseye of, of Hebrews, actually. Like that, right there. And, and in some ways you could say, I'm telling you, this is our story. It's our story. It's like, we all, you, you, you know, our story identifies who we are. We lose our story, we lose our identity. Which is what the problem is in America. We have, we're moving away from what our story is. Our story is the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, the Emancipation Proclamation, the American Revolution. If we lose our story, we lose our identity. What's happening today is the, the story of the American Revolution is being replaced with the story of the French Revolution that inspired Russia, inspired uh, communist China. But we, but we have a story. We, we have a story. We can never forget. If we, if we forget our story, we will forget our identity. That's dangerous, actually. And, and, and it's like when it, we read it here, when it says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's like, how did Jesus do that? I mean, seriously, how did he do that? And it's like, the thing is, he came into Jerusalem the week of Passover, there's a background program running, actually. It's the, it's the biblical day of Nisan 10, which may sound a little strange to you. Just hang in there with me. But there's a background program. Well, that's the day, actually, the Passover lambs were identified, set apart four days later to be sacrificed. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in full display as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the Lord without spot or blemish. It would be the most intense time of scrutiny in his life was from Sunday to basically Thursday afternoon. So the background um, program running is you have, you have him riding on a donkey. Donkeys bear burdens. This particular donkey is bearing the burden of the Son of God, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world, who is carrying a burden to carry the sins of the world. 
And he's like open display coming into Jerusalem on this day. And he knows full well that four days later, he's going to be lifted up on a a stinking Roman cross and, and be treated as if he committed every stinking sin in human history. It's like, how did Jesus endure that? How did he endure like, the demonstration of the, the greatest selfless act of love that has brought the greatest good to others in human history? I mean, prior to this, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. As you well know, Gethsemane means oil press. So he's being squeezed like never before under radical stress. The capillaries in his skin are breaking. He's sweating drops of blood. He's close to death. Listen, this often goes unnoticed, but in Luke's gospel, it says he almost died there. His face is in the ground. I mean, this scene just makes me want to weep. And he's asked Peter, James, and John on a human level to, to be with them, no doubt for a sense of companionship, how we need each other. Can I hear another amen to that? We need each other. So important to be here this morning. And what is he doing? He's like, goodness gracious, he's pouring his soul out. He's just, you know, he's, he's the son of God, God the son. He's, he's the God man, fully God, fully man. And he says to the father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. It's like, wait, time out. Just a few hours earlier, you're in the upper hill of Jerusalem on the Passover Seder, and you told the disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And now you're saying, let the cup pass from me? So it's like, um... What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. He's under radical duress. That's what's going on. And he's like, he's in touch, touch with everything inside. He's in touch with his feelings, which is an understatement. And he's just pouring out to the Father. And ultimately, he says, of course, not my will, but your will be done. It's like, how in the world? How in the world? Could he have done that? And the answer is because he trusted the Father. That's why. The question is, do we trust our Heavenly Father with our lives? To keep paddling, to endure, to bring our pain and need and, need and burden to? I mean, listen, seriously, these are important questions because the reality is the default condition of our heart in the deep psyche of who we are is actually distrust. One person said, the lie which sinners have believed since the fall, the lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. Oh, that's, no, no, the father loves us with everything. Do we trust him just, okay, I'm going to be sold out, I'm going to do what's right because it's right, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and I'm not going to give up, and I'm going to love because that's what love does, and I'm going to be courageous in the times in which we live. And hey, you know what? And if need be, just like many others, I'm not going to love my life unto death. No, 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 I, I'm, I'm not going to love comfort first. I'm, not gonna, I'm going to love Jesus Christ first. And I'm just going to trust him with that. I mean, to ask, do we have that trust of the circumstances of our life to give it all to the Lord and keep pedaling is such an important question. Jesus came, see, the reason, one of the main reasons Jesus came, I should say, is he came to restore that trust so that you would have the most 
confident, intimate relationship with the Father. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And and point number four is, is that keep your eyes on Jesus because he kept his eyes on the Father who not only resurrected Christ, but Jesus ascended to the right hand in a place of honor. He is the king, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And basically, what what am I trying to get at? I'm trying to get at, look, just don't give up because the heavenly Father's training you, and he's preparing you for greater blessings ahead. You know, this idea that... um, this idea that, can we go to, let's go to that next slide. Thank you so much. Uh, number five, yeah. You, you know, this idea, just the verse two, that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God is just such a loaded, loaded reality. I just want to quickly just make a few comments about it because it means a few things. It's like, you know, if we look at it like through a lens of, of, of like a Greek or from the West, we would say, okay, well, we just, we're picturing Jesus sitting down in a chair, but we should ask, what does that mean? actually. And, and to, sit da- to sit in a chair, it can speak of position. And it also can speak that you have accomplished something. And it actually speaks of both. Because Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. He paid every blessing we'll ever know, our ticket to heaven, our forgiveness. I mean, it's grace, man. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Can I hear another amen to that? I love that. So it's like he sat down, he accomplished our redemption. When he sat down, the Bible says he sent the Holy Spirit to transform lives. Go back to Pentecost, means that too. He sat down means he's in a place of intercession. So if I were to ask you, what's bugging you this morning? Just know that the Lord is fully aware of what's going on in your life and he's working behind the scenes. Be encouraged with that. And remember, remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he was being stoned to death? By the way, by the one, I believe, who penned Hebrews, who later became a Christian. I'm speaking of the Apostle Paul. There's some debate as to who wrote Hebrews. I think it was the, the Apostle Paul. But he was stoning Stephen to death, or at least responsible for all of that. And Stephen had a vision of Jesus and And it was all before the great religious leaders of the day. And he looked up and he saw Jesus at the right hand. He saw Jesus at the right hand, not sitting, but he was standing. What does that mean? Oh, for sure that the Lord was fully engaged. He was fully aware it was taking place. And let me just say, you have the Lord's full attention always. He knows what's going on in your life. In fact, it could even be said there's a sympathetic resonance. Like you put uh, two pianos side by side and you strike a C chord, it awakens the C chord in the other piano. The point is like, like the Lord's not just aware of what's going on in our life. I am convinced he feels what is taking place. So let me just ask you, my precious brother and sister, are you discouraged? Because we've all been there. And we could be for lots of reasons. There could be relational conflict in your life. That's a bummer. There could be more output than input, so you're just weary. You could have just come off a a wonderful victory, so there's kind of a downside to it, and you're just feeling low. 
In a little bit, we're going to sing a song. I love this song, Sea of Victory. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Before you leave here, if you're discouraged and you are carrying pain, like the Lord was carrying a burden in the Garden of Gethsemane, I just want to encourage you to just go total vertical and be totally transparent and name it, verbalize it, pray. Bring it to the Father who said, look, I I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. And the idea of being boldly is just authentic, transparent, pour it out to me. Let the most wonderful Father that could ever be meet you there. Let him strengthen you. Listen, uh, I have the most beautiful wife, inside and out, my best friend. We've been married almost 35 years. And uh, there are some things, however, that I do not communicate with her because I know it would burden her. Um, And that's okay. Because there are certain realities that all of us carry of the soul, for example, or dealing with circumstances of life that are only to be brought to our Father. What we do with our pain tells us a lot about who our Father is to us. So I want to encourage you. We have the most wonderful Father there could ever be. Keep your eyes on Jesus who kept his eyes on the Father. And know as you endure and do that, he is training you for greater blessings to the glory of God. Can I hear a big amen to that? So that was the intro. That was the intro to the message. Um, It's 40 minutes and 51 seconds since I got up here. And now it's going to be 41 minutes, right now. I want to say one more thing as the team comes up. Hey, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, you know what it means? It means he's coming again. Jesus first bore the cross. When he comes again, he's going to wear the crown. And when he comes, he comes at the darkest time in human history. It's a love rescue. He comes as savior. He comes as judge. He will judge the nations. And he comes as king, because he is the king. So Christianity is actually not the great escape off big bad planet Earth. And we're floating somewhere. Oh, it's true. If a a precious saint soul leaves their body, they're immediately in the presence of the Lord. But one day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to be with them. And we're going to be ruling and reigning with them. So, we're from the future. (laughs) Today. Let's give our best to the king. Can I hear an amen to that? Let's all stand at this time. Lord, I, I want to pray if there is anyone here that is yet to open their heart to you as Savior and Lord. Uh, and you may be thinking, what does that even mean? Let me just briefly say this. Recognize what the Lord has done for you. He not only made you, but he's revealed himself to you. Loves you with everything.
And Jesus gave his life on the cross. He resurrected from the dead. There's not an honest historian who could deny it. He ascended to heaven. He's coming again. Everything is moving towards his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of it. And he's inviting you. And he wants to come into your life, but he won't force himself. He stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. How, how do I do that? You know, how do I open the door? Recognize what he's done for you. Number two, Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. Repentance carries the idea of a U-turn. It actually means a change the way you think that results in a lifestyle change. Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. A narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Christ this morning, my friend. Come to Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. He really is just a prayer away. Those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Listen, we're going to sing a beautiful song. We're going to have the prayer team up here. Uh, and they're going to start coming up even right now. So if I could just ask the prayer team could come on up. And I would so appreciate it. So you can see them. They'll be up here. And I'd just like to invite anyone, whether you're 15 or 55 or 75, you would like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you're thinking, man, that's me, and I want to settle that. I believe the Lord is calling you. It's today. Man, come forward. Let the team pray of, with you to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. We're praying for you. We love you. Let's, let's worship at this time.